Welcome to The Baseline, the podcast for coaches, parents, and athletes interested in learning more about softball player development. Here our goal is simple, change and grow the game of softball. All right, we have a really special podcast. The entire S2 team is on. Me, Krista, um, then Ashley, Laura, and Carly are all on tonight, but we're going to focus a lot on strength and conditioning um, and why we've made really um, sort of drastic steps this year to fully integrate it into our platform. Carly came onto our team in August, and integration up until that point had been a journey for Ashley and I. We started S2 sort of as a side business in 2012, and we're doing, knew we wanted strength and conditioning to be a part of our platform. So we literally were carrying kettlebells and dumbbells around in our trunks and offering strength and conditioning programs to softball players around our area. Um, When we opened S2 Breakthrough, our building, we offered strength and conditioning as just sort of like one of the classes that we offered, um, but knew that to really make the impact that it could make on player development, that it needed to be fully integrated into the platform as something that everyone that came in the doors did. So we were super fortunate uh, to find Carly this year, bring her in, put it, you know, fully into our, our systems with her leading that. Um, And we can't even begin. And you'll kind of see that today to express how sort of impactful she has been with our systems and our, and our athletes and, and what she's built. So, with that sort of kickoff, we're going to get started, and we're going to start with our first question uh, for Carly, which is why she thinks, um, and we'll all kind of bounce our ideas too, but why she thinks strength and conditioning is so important for softball players of all ages, because just a reminder for us, we train everyone from ages eight to college. Carly, go for it, man. All right, so fun question. I think it's interesting because you often hear people say not to specialize in one sport. Uh they want their kids playing as many sports as possible to get them in different positions. But majority of the time, what it ends up being is this girl plays softball while she also plays volleyball. So she's stuck over her head at least 10 months out of the year. So really she's not getting into different movements. So what strength and conditioning is, is a way to get kids introduced to different movements and stronger obviously in those movements so it introduces the variability that they need while being overhead so they don't get stuck in these positions that aren't efficient yeah for sure I think you know when we wanted to bring strength and conditioning in um, and we sort of knew we wanted to right from the beginning that was a huge factor and we didn't really understand it fully at the time I would say of why you know it was so important to us but one of the things we see Um, and Carly, maybe you can speak to sort of what you've seen on the floor, but athletes that are sort of quote, highly skilled in softball are are given more opportunities to play at a higher level, um, sort of like on a bigger stage and are seen as very highly skilled softball players, but really, really struggle with basic movement just because they've been sort of pushed along in softball so quickly. Um, So maybe, you know, in this past timeframe at our space, speak to some of some of that that you've seen of just athletes and, you know, maybe they're really, really good softball players, but sort of when they get on the strength floor, some of the challenges they have. So 
we have some elite kids in the Orland Park A's who throw 70 to even 80 overhand. And what's interesting to me is these kids who have these elite patterns for throwing will come over to me on the strength floor and will struggle with an RDL or deadlift to control a deadlift down. So what that says to me is these kids are at a risk for injury, even though they are very high level athletes, they can't do basic foundational strength movements, which is kind of a red light. And Ashley, you'll probably get into that with pitching, but it's a red light to me that these kids are high level athletes, but can't do basic foundational strength movements. Yeah, I, um, unfortunately, um, I think we saw, you know, this year we sort of, as you said, like red flagged any athlete that came in to the facility as a pitcher, talking as pitching specifically here, um, who was post-puberty, of course, um, and what we labeled as level one mover, which is, you know, the, the lowest level, lowest tier that we have. Um, and ha- and through higher velocity. Um, and so we really flag them uh, because to us, that's two ingredients recipe for higher risk of injury. So unfortunately, um, for the, the athletes that we had in that category, um, they, they did experience pain um, along the journey. And, and essentially, it felt as if we were had kind of predicted it, I guess. Um, that might be a little bit strong, but uh, but we at least we knew that they were at higher risk. So I think the ability for especially our assessment to look at movement and then look at sort of the output, you know, you can oftentimes just assume because someone is skilled or has a lot of power that they're a great mover, um, but that's not always the case. And when it's not the case, it's uh, it's actually quite that's alarming and really something has to be paid attention to, to keep these kids safe. I was going to also chime in Carly, because I actually think your, your answer to the first question was pretty interesting of like, it's essentially strength and conditioning balances out softball or balances out how much skill repetition that athletes are doing. And I think when Krista and I first started as to breakthrough and we are incorporating that really never crossed my mind. It, It was really strength and conditioning was about getting them just to be just like learn movement, learn where your body is in space, like really just sort of ground up type of stuff. It didn't occur to me years ago. Uh, we're talking really eight years ago that we started strength and conditioning that we would be working with athletes, really young athletes and already be, you know, we'd be faced with battling them being, as you were calling it, stuck in certain patterns. So you're right. We're seeing that earlier and earlier. And I think that's something I've learned along the way is it's not just this nice, easy, breezy tier, you know, tier uh, where you're going from the ground up and helping them learn and move. You're simultaneously sort of battling something uh, right next door. So I, um, I thought that was interesting response that that's sort of where your brain went right away. Yeah, I think I was, you know, I think strength and conditioning for us in our discussions at S2, it serves like two purposes, which is building a barrier, building a, a armor for our athletes to avoid um, injury because of the repetition that they're facing and, and sort of like the intense that they're going at in their sport. And it's a high velocity movement, especially for, for positions like a pitcher or a catcher or, or someone that's really repeating their movement a lot. Um, so it's building that armor for them um, to to help reduce their risk of injury as much as possible. 
what that means and looks like, I think is different based on the age of our athlete and, and what it looks like. But then it's also trying to train them to be better softball players um, and and that part of it. So I think, it, you know, it's two tiered. I'm going to go jump into the next question because I think we, we're touching on it a lot. Um, and so I think we can sort of get into it. But just to give a little background and then Carly, I'll have you dive into what it looks like a little bit more. But when someone trains with us at S2, they don't sort of like choose to do strength and conditioning or choose to do softball. Um, strength and conditioning and softball are integrated and sort of, you know, one big program. And so I think that is a lot different than maybe what we traditionally think of for strength and conditioning and skill, which is we might see a lot of athletes who do strength and conditioning, but they go somewhere else. You know, they go to one place to get their strength and conditioning work, and then they go one place to get their teamwork and one place to get their, um, you know, like lesson work. So whatever that looks like. And so I think what we have is very unique in that way. So maybe if you can just speak, Carly, to what your experience has been with how our approach where we've sort of fully integrated it and it's something that everyone does um, is different, what you think like is important about it being set up like that and sort of like that that world of things, how that's different for us compared to what other people might be doing. The whole setup really is such a game changer. So from the minute they walk in, We'll have a level one athlete go straight to the warm up, and then come to me on the strength floor and then go do skill movement. A level two athlete will do their warm up and then go to skill movement. But the whole time I can see everything. So I can see how the kid moves on the strength floor. I can see how they move when they're pitching with Ashley. I can see how they move when they're doing their movement prep with Krista. So it really just opens up a whole new training, if you will, where I'm constantly being able to assess these kids of what they can do well and what they struggle with. And it makes a efficient model too for the kids because we're, if Ashley sees something in pitching, she can come to me and I'm able to go in that day and work with a kid on that movement or able to fix their resume that night. So it's really just the communication and the ability to always see them move and always assess them. That's super efficient for the kids. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think, think I'm going to like, go ahead. If you're an athlete and you keep them separate in separate silos, strength and conditioning and skill, there's obviously just by, there's going to be a level of improvement because you're going to be increasing absolute strength. You may be working on some mobility stuff and be working, but you, there's a ceiling. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's a major ceiling if there's not communication slash a relationship between the person you are working with in skill and your strength coach. I mean, you just can't reach what someone who is who has a, a platform that it's integrated that someone like that can reach. So I think that that's really important. So um, I know that there are obviously then there are tiers of athletes who don't do strength training. That's obviously a whole nother topic. But for those that that do, I think oftentimes it's separated and in the platform that we now have. And, and obviously we can say this because as you said, Krista, we had all the other types of platforms. I mean, we grew up to this essentially. So we've seen all of the different models within our own space, keeping it separate, um, you know, really functioning, keeping it optional. We've kind of done the whole nine yards until we've built what we have now. And I think it's all subpar. It's all subpar to really the system we've built. I just, if you're really trying to get better, it has to have a link between 
you know, from the top meaning skill, how it links and that communication into the strength coach. And then even one layer deeper, obviously, which we've built is then the strength coach even being more educated by an assessment. So I just think like each of those layers provides education for the coach sort of on the tier above them. So no doubt about it. I think any other system is subpar. We've seen that. Um, we've seen it because we had each of those. And so I think that's like why we've grown to what we are now and why we feel so passionately about it. It's like, we now see, we now see, um, just, I mean, it, it blows it out of the water, right? I mean, it blows every other setup we've had out of the water. And so I think it's why we want to talk about it so much is to try to sort of spread, you know, what we hope that other facilities, organizations, so on and so forth can start to adopt and, and maybe utilize us as a means to figure out how they can take that um, and to work within their own space. I think, yeah, it, I think go, go ahead, ahead, Laura, because I was going to kick it to, to you anyways, because I think we've sort of danced around the assessments a little bit. Um, yeah. And then also, I think sort of like when they walk in and we go through wellness and how all of that like stems into all of us separately, I think you would be a good person because you kind of center all of that to, to touch on that. Yeah. My comment to this question was going to be, I, I think, I think our system is, is really a well-functioning sort of mini version of, of really what a solid athletic healthcare model should be at a college level. So it really sets expectations, I think, for our athletes that, you know, regardless of the level they intend to play in college, this is what they should be expecting from a strength and conditioning staff, from their medical staff, from their coaching staff, is this integrated approach. And so the fact that they have this model already and they've, they've grown up in a model where strength and skill and their, their health and wellness are all at the forefront and is really centered around them as an individual and them as a player, it, it really sets some expectations. And I, I've said this you know, for a couple of months that I, I hope that as our athletes start to graduate from the facility and move on to playing in college, that they start to ask those questions, you know, as, as, as informed recruits and informed parents of, you know, how are you going to integrate these things, right? It's not always going to be questions about, you know, the fanciest campuses or, you know, the, the, the best stadiums, but how are you going to take care of my physical, mental, you know, the, the health and wellness of me as an athlete, I think is a really important question. So I think we've set a standard for that for them as they've, you know, progressed through the program. Yeah, for sure. Laura, can you walk us through and then we can all kind of talk about our own experiences, but like uh, an athlete walks in the door, gets an assessment and sort of how that's funneled into sort of like uh, skill versus strength versus wellness and, and how we divvy that up and sort of like what that looks like. And then Carly, maybe you can sort of speak on where they would then kick off strength and conditioning based off that information. Yes. So when, um, when a client, you know, parent and the athlete walks in the door, um, the first thing we do is sit down and review a health history questionnaire with them that they fill out ahead of time. Um, and there was no really reinventing the wheel. We took the state association, the Illinois uh, pre-participation physical form and just adopted it to our needs and, and asked basic medical questions, orthopedic questions, menstrual history. And we just sit and review that if there are you know, anomalies that we need to discuss. We discuss them. We provide an opportunity for, you know, additional questions. We maybe learn some new information that they didn't think was relevant to fill out in the questionnaire in the first place. And it just sort of opens the conversation, really centers 
you know, the assessment session around that this is for your health and wellness, right? We're going to talk about performance and we're going to talk about skill, but all this is to make sure that you can chase performance in a healthy way and so that you can sustain through your training to be able to do that. Uh, we then take passive range of motion, um, hips and shoulders for rotation, internal and external, and then they move into an active mobility assessment, and we, we record all of these uh, movements and motions, and they're uh, sort of evaluated after the fact. Uh, so we do active mobility, uh, and then we look at um, movement and strength exercises that are related to very specific tasks that we feel are important for um, all softball players. You know, being able to control your pelvis, being able to understand what the middle of your body is, and under varying conditions. So under stable conditions, low velocity, high velocity, um, and being able to just uh, demonstrate your movement competency in these different planes of motion and tasks of motion. Uh, we do some jumping tasks to look at things like force transfer. We're going to be adding power to our assessment in the fall and just try to get a full profile of what their really movement competency is. Uh, how well do they move? What things do they struggle with? Where is their mobility a challenge for them? Where does it have to be controlled better? Um, and then we do a full skill assessment. So hitting, pitching, overhand, throwing. And then really where it comes together is the debrief with the client, right? So whether it's, it's the skill coach and, and myself that sit down and have this conversation, the most important thing is that these two things link together. And so we talk with the parent and the athlete about, you know, we, we can see all these things in your movement and strength assessment and your threshold assessment. And we see these things in skill and they're absolutely related So the things that you're unable to do or struggle with in your threshold assessment, your mobility challenges, your range of motion limitations, they show up in these particular ways in your skill. And so it, it really begins a great conversation about how those two things are related, the importance of both of them. We talk about the level system, as Carly mentioned, and sort of how that level system then affects their performance plan, right? How we're going to put that into, you know, their specifics and strength and conditioning and their specifics and skill. Yeah, for sure. And so now, Carly, you get handed the performance plan or, or help to develop it sometimes, but you get handed that performance plan and then, you know, that same athlete picks up day one of their training and, and how does that inform what their training looks like from a strength and conditioning standpoint? So based on that performance plan, it's going to tell me what level they're in. So we have four levels and four is the highest. So the most elite and then level one is kind of the beginning of that. So say they're a level one athlete they're going to come in, do their warm up, and then they're going to come to me with strength and conditioning. Say this athlete struggles with thoracic rotation, so thoracic mobility to an extent. We'll spend some extra warm up time going through and addressing that thoracic mobility. May even add some extra bonus work to the end of the workout. But really, she's going to come in, do the warm up, come to me on the strength floor. And then she'll go do her skill work. So the reason they're coming to me first on the strength floor is to get that extra neuromuscular activation and to really be able to take that neuromuscular activation and apply it in their skill work. These athletes really aren't going to be loading too much, so that's not a worry to have them fatigued going into the skill work. We really just want them to be able to feel these changes while they're while they're doing their skill work. And then what happens, like, let's say you have a, a level two, level three type athlete, 
and we look at her performance plan and, and there's some sort of like individual needs, you know, obviously maybe a core of the program stays the same, but when do you d differ between sort of like the, the meat potatoes of what everyone is going to hit and what you see in the performance plan for what that athlete individually needs? So if an athlete comes and is struggling with something like hip mobility, thoracic rotation, thoracic extension, those are things that I can address in the warm-up and can be done daily. But if it's something such as core activation in a particular movement, such as a squat, and we need to change the loading variation, that's when I'll go through and maybe not change the complete program, but I will go through for that individual athlete and change the way that we load that movement. And this is something that happens fairly often, and it's not really based on the assessment in general, but say it's a Tuesday on the floor, an athlete's having trouble with a back squat, for instance, for back squatting, and she can get into a front squat really well because she has more core activation there. Then from there on, I'm going to switch her to a front squat. So it's not always just based on the general assessment. It's a day-to-day -day assessment too, really, and being able to adapt. Yeah, for sure. I think the, like the importance of integration as well, that seems very strength and conditioning focused, sort of what you just described. A lot of times that conversation will, will you know, sort of come over to the skill side because if I'm struggling and hitting to make someone feel core activation and, and you were successful by changing a load, it might be something we even explore with the stride that they take and hitting or something, you know, we can sort of have those conversations and, and they, they flow pretty freely in our facilities. So that really helps us make change faster, as Ashley was saying earlier. Um, okay, so what we've been talking about a lot with assessments and our level system and sort of this uh, really is about our post-puberty athletes. So that's really like high school and up for the most part, um, depending obviously on everyone's level of maturity. But um, we also have a lot of young kids in our facility. And so maybe Carly, if you could just speak to some of the differences between how we approach what we've been talking about, these like post-puberty athletes where we get, give them sort of a level system and work them up and our pre-puberty kids um, who come in who also are going to do strength and conditioning and sort of what are the differences and our goals and approaches and, you know, how the, you know, the training looks for them. So our pre-puberty kids will not undergo any assessment. We will spend a majority of our time getting down the fundamental movements. So skipping, running, jumping, and really this is all done throughout a warm up. And I do it that way just to make sure it's, variability so we go from jumping then we go to running then we go to skipping and once these kids get really good at mastering these fundamental movements then we start playing with power in these movements and once they have power down then we start working on foundational strength movements not loading these movements but just body weight here's a squat here's a hinge tell me a difference and it's amazing because we get these 10, 12-year-olds who can produce power in jumping, skipping, and then we teach them how to squat and hinge, and they'll point at a high school kid and say, oh, she's doing a hinge. And it's so amazing that these kids are starting to distinguish these movements but also be very proficient in these movements. So I think that's a big game changer. And then for our high school kiddos, post-puberty kids, these are the kids that are 
doing the threshold assessment and getting objective data from it. And from here, we're building out that performance plan with their skill work and their strength work and attacking deficiencies that we see. So more or less, it's becoming more individualized as they get older and attacking exactly what they need. And then as they go up through that level system, it gets more sports specific with attacking velocity, whether that be exit velocity, throwing velocity, and even crafting new pitches with Ashley. Yeah, for sure. Would you say, um, I know the answer from a skill standpoint, but would you say strength and conditioning um, is highly individualized for our young athletes or, you know, what is sort of the approach from that? Because I know we don't do as much of sort of like a assessment. Um, you know, there's a reason for that, obviously, but what are the like key areas that you're hitting and, and like, when does an athlete need to start moving into more of an individualized type plan? For our youth athletes, it's not really individualized at all. It's very general and broad. It almost resembles a PE class. It's know these fundamental movements in the warm-up, and then I typically program a game for them to do, such as a bear crawl challenge, just make it fun and for them to enjoy it. And as we progress, then it's going to get more individualized and really the ratio with skill, but the younger kids, not really too individualized and even less on skill with softball. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, maybe Ashley could speak to this a little bit too, but from my standpoint, um, from hitting, you know, it's really, really not individualized at all because we're just targeting such a like common themes at this age when they're young and pre-puberty. But for me, where it gets individualized is where I come in as a coach and just understanding that kid's personality and, you know, sort of their motivations and a little bit more on the sort of emotional, social side of things and not so much on the physical part of things because at this age, I think a lot of times because we we take some of our guidance from very, very high level training. And so we think at this age, we need these like very, very individualized paths. Um, and from a physical standpoint, we're just trying to kind of chase the same things, learning power, learning speed, learning foundational movements, these things. So we can kind of take a, a more blanket approach at this age. So I actually, I don't know if it's, you know, similar for you or um, if you agree with that, take a similar approach for pitching. Yeah, I usually say that when kids are pre-puberty, I feel a responsibility to protect them from pitching. Uh, and so training really is the skill part is really a, from a physical standpoint, it's protecting them against it because they are just nowhere near ready to take on the complexity of pitching. But pitching exists and pitching is awesome. So I want them to love it. I want them to think it's so fun. I want them to you know, have this intent to be competitive and excited and to throw hard. And so things are really just focused around those concepts so that they fall in love with pitching. Um, but the concept of it and, and not the X's and O's of it, because they can't possibly even have a conversation about the X's and O's, let alone physically be able to do it. I think that's a conversation that just really needs to be shout. You know, we need to shout from the, the mountaintops to all parents of, of young pitchers is, is like, you, you just got to let them be free. And so this concept of like drills and lessons and steps, and it's just, um, you know, it's, it's trying to 
jump from you're at level one and you're trying to jump to level 50. So um, you just got to let that course, you know, kind of take on, just take care of itself. Um, and like I said, really just get the girls to fall in love with pitching because um, why wouldn't you want to fall in love with pitching? I was going to also say, you know, we think about the phrase, once you see, you can't unsee. I'm just like, you know, even listening to our own conversation and none of this is a surprise to me because we are there. It's our stuff, but I'm just sitting back and listening and, um, you know, like everything we do, the first thing we need to know is like, have you gotten your period? Are you pre or post puberty? If it's post, how long you go, you know, like that's the very, we can't do anything in our space now until we know the answer to that question. And even really that has transformed within this year. We didn't really start it out that way. And it's really transformed. And so, you know, now thinking about that, I mean, overwhelming majority of people, we know it. I mean, Krista, thinking about the your LTAD chat last weekend on Saturday, I think the, one, the first or second question was like, what's the difference? What are some of the differences you find in training male and females? And your answer like included, like you have to understand when they got, you know, where they are developmentally, if they've had their first period and let's start destigmatize that. Um, and so we know obviously that the the sports world is not there yet. Um, and so the overwhelming majority of people working with young female athletes are never discussing things like, you know, their period and, and, and how far away they are from puberty. And so um, I just think like, you know, again, once you see, you can't unsee, it's, it would be unbelievable to me to think about trying to accomplish what it is we accomplish, you know, we work to accomplish in our space without having that question answered. So I just think that's a, you know, big asterisk next to that is like, if you know, if you, if you can only do so many things and what you're working with and whatever space you have, whatever personnel you have, find out where your athletes are developmentally and include health and wellness in alongside performance, as Laura said. So we didn't mention this earlier, and now I'm jumping all over the place, but we didn't mention this earlier. But Laura, you talked about how we obviously get to know the athlete health and wellness wise in the beginning, but we also obviously track it throughout. So every day they're in training, obviously, they fill out a questionnaire that tells us a variety of things, right? Like gives us an idea about nutrition, stress, sleep, other, other, you know, training forms, whether or not they've overtrained or, you know, are doing too much, too little, whatever. So, um, tracking that throughout, I think it's really been one of the most powerful things that we've been able to do because, um, like Chris, I mean, you have, you have a, a great example of like seeing plateaus in some, in one or a handful of your athletes. And you're like, could easily just be banging your head against the wall of like, what other, what else can we do in the strength floor? What else can we do in hitting? And really is like, wait, we had our wellness questionnaires to look back and see like, this kid's overtraining, right. you know, like she's going way well, too much, think, like, let's back her off. Right. Well, and I think what is, so I'll tell the story because I think it's powerful, both from health and wellness, but also being integrated because, you know, we had an athlete, um, she's on a team I coach and we regularly track overhand throwing velocity and we had um, sort of a, a two testing periods where she sort of plummeted. It wasn't even a plateau. It started as a plateau and then sort of had her lowest numbers that she has had. And um, there were no injuries. There was no red flags. She said she felt fine. There, you know, there was, it was hard for us to really pinpoint. And so first to speak to the integration is my ability to go to a, a room full of people 
including sort of Laura focused on her health and wellness side of things, Carly, who trains her strength and conditioning wise, and say like, we can't, she's just a high school age athlete. And we have, a, you know, we have our numbers plummeting. So we, we got to look at that. We have to assume it's our programming. Uh, we have to assume it's something that's going on in here first. And so what can we do to, to look at this and, and target it? And what could it be? And so sort of like, from our ability to even have that conversation, if I had been, you know, her skill coach on my own, it would have been nearly impossible for us to find this answer because I don't know who I would have spoke to because I didn't see anything from a skill side that sort of indicated any issue going on. And so, you know, we talked with Carly, she was telling Carly she felt good, but then Carly kept asking her questions and sort of finally over time, what we got out of her was that she was also doing high school strength and conditioning work. And so basically was just overloaded. And so Carly made a bunch of uh, modifications on her programming. So she was doing less with us. And so it, you know, sort of went better with her high school programming. And four weeks later, after we made those changes and had that conversation, she threw the hardest she's ever thrown. So didn't even sort of like go back up, but was able to literally throw the hardest she had ever thrown up until that point. So I think, I mean, I think that story is powerful for a lot of reasons because yes, it speaks to this idea that we can make adjustments for their like well overall wellness. Um, but it also speaks to our integration because when everything is in different buildings, it's hard to get to the root of it. And and we still have limitations, obviously, because, you know, it was, you know, part of it was coming from a high school program and, and things. But the more we can be integrated and remove those silos, I mean, that conversation became so much more powerful because we feel like there's a chance we can get to the bottom of the issue a lot easier and then sort of control the changes that are being made for the athlete. Um, so I think for sure, I mean, that speaks to a lot of things we do, um, a lot of sort of the integrative pieces and, and different things. Um, now I'm going to jump add, a little bit. I was going to add a couple of things. One, I think a really important piece to add to that is like you, you know, we, we have a lot of conversations and it's just, I think this is a great opportunity to really show how everything is related. So like we've had a lot of discussions, zoom calls, podcasts, whatever about like data, data visualization. Here's a great example of, of, of why that was so important. If you had not been tracking that data had, you know, a way to visualize it, you wouldn't even have seen she was plummeting. Right. And so that's one thing I think that's worth noting. Another thing is like kind of my brain went toward a few weeks ago, uh, Chris, your podcast with coach Bloomer at Duke. And he was saying basically like, if you go, if an athlete goes to a skill training session and it's like cookie cutter run. Right. And I think like we hear things like that all the time, but what does it mean? You know, like, what does that mean? Like if it's, if it's cookie cutter and like, why can't it be like, why can't you just do the same five drills or whatever? But I, I think basically what we're getting at and what we've really developed in our space is it's like every kid is their own unique puzzle, right? And so what we do in our office, you know, leading up until, you know, we're out on the floor in training is just sort of like dissect that piece of the puzzle. No one, I mean, no one's journey is linear, right? No one's journey is linear. And so what we really do is like, think about all of these pieces that we're we're thinking about, we're thinking about like, we're looking at their data, understanding their trends. We're looking at what they're doing in skill. We're seeing if there's a gap between what they can accomplish on the strength floor, what they can accomplish in skill. We've had athletes this year who have some structural things going on. So like, for example, you know, inverted hips. So it's like, we found that out. And so other, if we didn't know that we'd sort of be forcing them to do things they physically couldn't do. And so there's just so much individuality in a kid then there's a you know kids who might be sort of similar and they're in the 
from a physical standpoint, but one athlete is stressed and not sleeping well. The other athlete isn't eating well. I mean, it's like, there's just so much to account for. (laughs) And so I think of like, if you really reflect on that, you know, I think something that we've really just committed to is, is coming up with a system to account for all of those areas, all of those categories, and then have a team, the four of us, um, primarily to sit down and really like discuss that. And it's like Laura alluded to in the beginning, it's kind of like a mini, like a healthcare system, right? But for athletes and and in their sport. And so it's like this really integrated approach to sort of understanding each of those pieces of the puzzle and how they come together. So if you think about that system that we really worked hard to build and how powerful it is. And then you go back to a comment like Josh says, like there are, you know, if athletes are just going to some cookie cutter, they do the same four drills, they do the same five drills. I mean, that is one end of the spectrum versus the other. I mean, that now sounds kind of, it's just seems like, I mean, there's such a gap, right? And so um, I, I think for us, like we really, obviously we're always reflecting and always trying to make changes, but we're, we're trying to build a gold standard system for player development. And so that's why, like I said, kind of going back to what I said earlier, it's why we're really passionate about it is because, you know, it is bits and pieces of this really are doable for a, a lot of different, in a lot of different spaces. So hopefully we can just sort of keep, keep, you know, making our system better and better and then spreading words that athletes out, even outside of our little space can have similar experiences and similar teams working to guide them in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to go off that a little bit. Um, and, and Carly, maybe if you can get a little bit more into like, you don't have to get all, every detail of it, but a little more of the nuts and bolts of like, if you are looking at, you talked about a little bit of pre-puberty and the types of things that you hit for those athletes. But if it's a post-puberty athlete, like what are some core principles of the type of strength training that they would be doing in our space? Like what are the forget for a second the individual aspect of it and the things that we might see for the athlete, but what are the overarching sort of themes or approaches that you take with the athletes um, on the strength floor? So the big thing is really just the foundational strength movements. So squat, push, pull, hinge, brace, land, and challenging those based on the level. So if they're level one, Obviously, they are going to have a little bit more trouble stabilizing than the other levels. So to the extent that we're doing our bracing, our landing, our plyometric movements, they're going to be doing less of these movements and less intense. And then as they go up in the levels, they're going to be challenged in these movements more, but also get more of these movements in a higher intensity. Yeah, I think, and like, again, to the integration piece, Ashley, if you want to talk a little bit, because this really came up in pitching, it applies definitely to hitting, but the concept of sort of like where we got to with power and that conversation and how that overlapped with what we were doing on the strength floor and what we were trying to accomplish in pitching and sort of like where our athletes find some of their power work and their workout now based on conversations that we've had. You mean of just of like from a standpoint of how to, tr- how to train power. Yeah. And like, where we put it in the workout, you yeah. know, like based on sort of like prep for skill. I mean, Carly yeah, can speak to this up. a little bit too, but sort of like yeah. we've, so we, yeah. we've been kind of like mixing 
the order of how they do things and really integrating like things that pieces of strength and conditioning with pieces of, of skill. Um, so particularly in the warm up, what they do is they do their standard dynamic warm up. Um, standard, you know, some of them have ind- had, you know, there's individuality to it, but they do their dynamic warm up. They sort of, uh, then like that ends and then they start what I would consider sort of like slower moving, a little more controlled managing the middle essentially is what they do. So they come over into the pitching. I mean, it's two feet away, but they come over to the pitching arena and then they start working on, you know, slower movement patterns that are pitching specific. And like I said, really about sort of managing the middle, particularly in the beginning of the motion. And then they like revisit power. And so there's like a power prep. Um, And so it's like, okay, we're taking sort of slow moving activation type of work. Now applying those concepts into things that are pitching related, but keeping velocity down, really working on control. Then they kind of, they come back and, um, they start doing their power movements that Carly writes. So whether it's things like, you know, bounding, skipping, med ball throws, jumps, whatever it is, they're doing their power prep. And then I essentially take them back. Um, and then they apply sort of the foundational power movement. And then we talk about, okay, that type of work that you just did, here is how it applies to pitching. And so then we start to do some more sort of like full, higher intensity power work and pitching. So the reason I really like that is because obviously we're always having conversation with our athletes about like pitching, well, hitting, pitching, overhand throwing, whatever, will never stand alone. It does not stand alone. It's just all of the movements you're doing, you know, over there, five, 10 feet away. It's just all of those movements coordinated in a very particular manner. And that's the pitching motion. And so we have to make sure that you can do these movements. And so I really like that concept of like, you know, non-pitching world, low velocity, pitching world, low velocity, switch on over non-pitching world, high velocity, power, pitching world, power. I just think that's not only is it appropriate from a physical standpoint, but I think the athletes really understand that concept well, because we do it in that order. Yeah, for sure. I think I um, think that's the question that for us. Is that the question you were getting? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for us, too, it's important because we're trying to be very efficient with our athletes. We have, you know, like high school when we're talking about sort of this part, it's our high school age, sometimes junior high, whatever it is, athletes. And they're not training with us every day. And so they're they're trying to hit everything and we're trying to be as efficient as possible. And so, like, when everything happens really matters for us. Uh, we don't have time for them to do like, you know, strength and conditioning one day, power, things like sprints, jumps one day, skill one day. We're trying to sort of get the biggest bang for their buck without exhausting them, obviously. And so we're very, very like we have a lot of conversations about the order they do things and when kids have limited time, what they do, um, that type of thing. So I think for us and and for other people who have limited time or are working with high schoolers are working in a sort of travel organization, have a facility, whatever it is, you have to sort of really prioritize what you want to prioritize and be efficient with training. It's a little different in the college space. Um, These are all things they should be doing in the college space, but you can manage that time a little bit different when you have them every day or sometimes multiple times a day or whatever that looks like. Um, But for us, we've been, we've had a lot of conversations about that flow of things and how that works for our athletes. Um, okay, so given our 
like unique structure. Um, we'll have athletes, whether it's with the, the travel organization that we work with, um, whether it's sort of other athletes that come in and work in our space, whoever that may be. Our structure is unique because they have a lot of different coaches that work with them. So if you think about sort of like a traditional model, um, I guess if you're thinking of sort of like separate silos, you have your hitting coach or your pitching coach, your team coach, your strength and conditioning coach, but they all function separately and sort of that's who it is for you. Um, and so for our athletes, it's unique because, you know, our like a 10U team that we help oversee also works with Carly, also works with me, also works with Ashley, also sees Laura. And so they have sort of like a, an opportunity to work with a lot of coaches. And so maybe I think that's maybe not quite as unique from a skill standpoint. I don't know. It is kind of unique, but Carly, from your standpoint as a strength and conditioning coach, I think it's like pretty unique to have that relationship with the athletes where you sort of like come in with a full team and you're their strength coach and they sort of see you on that basis. So maybe just talk a little bit to how you've like, been able to work up a connection with those girls where they sort of attach to you the same way that they would their team coach or whatever that is, um, because it is sort of a unique trait that you have to have as a strength coach that maybe all strength coaches don't have to deal with normally. So whenever I got here in August, I definitely thought that I had to be right about everything and Kind of question, how do I lead youth athletes? I always have to be right, so that's a lot of pressure. Um, always have to have the right answers for them. But as I really dove into it and had the experience, the kids would point me to the right answers all the time. They would tell me when they feel fatigued. They would tell me when a movement didn't feel right. And really, the power came with giving them the voice, giving them the voice to adapt their training resume for the day, to tell me that something didn't feel right. And by giving them the voice, it kind of showed them that, hey, I'm in this journey with you and I'm ready to be vulnerable with you. And if you want to say anything about the programming, feel free about it. Um, and that's really been the biggest thing is knowing that you don't always have to be right. And it doesn't always have to be about strength and conditioning. Uh, I see it all the time. The kids, not every kid is going to love strength and conditioning and not every kid is going to be lit up to go lift a lot of weight. So really getting to know the kids on a personal level and what lights them up helps a lot too. I mean, some kids are head down, get the work done. Some actually like to talk to me for like hours, but they'll get the work done and they'll put in the same amount of effort. So really give them a voice, be vulnerable and just get to know them. Yeah, I think one of my favorite stories that so far that's happened this year is uh, there's a 10 team that we work with and they always start with Carly. So they do warm up, they do, you know, there's this love like obstacle course type things, lots of competitions. Um, so it's a lot of fun to be on the strength floor. It looks, you know, it's not sort of like standing around. Um, and then they'll go do their, you know, their, pra their team practice, their, their work with their team. And so at the end of each of their teamwork with their team coaches, the, the coaches will give them the last like 10 minutes to come up with what competition do you want to do today? Like what challenge do you want to do? And I think about three weeks into training them every week, the competition became that they wanted to go back to Carly and do like an obstacle course. So they didn't want to do any, what they, the coaches were actually meant was like, we'll do, we'll try to hit it to the back of the cage or 
throw it as hard as we can or hit this target. And it suddenly became like, we want to go back to Carly, um, our strength coach, and we want to do a race or, you know, somersaults or whatever they're doing over there. And so I think when we're talking about driving our kids and, and making them love it and making them want it's, I mean, that's so much, I mean, in my mind, that's much more impactful. The, the relationship that you have had with them, Carly, than, than mine. I mean, it's great for them to love softball and I want everyone to love softball, but loving fitness in a way that then can translate your whole life is like, I mean, so unbelievably impactful. And so we really like value the relationship they get with you. And I think it's something that feels separate, but connected to them. And I think that's really important. So I think, you know, watching the girls like run onto the strength and conditioning floor and be excited to be over there I think Ashley had another time where she was going to help oversee strength conditioning and the, it was optional for the girls. And a few of them asked if Carly was coming. And when she said no that day, they, they decided not to attend. So I think um, your sort Probably of like relationship. Out, you know, because <laughs> there was a coup Carly. <laughs> half because everyone loves Carly and half because people are afraid of me probably or something. But um, I was going to say switching gears. So people don't dwell on that story. Um, I was going to say that I have obviously an, an 18U team as well. And I, I mean, the majority of the athletes I've, I've coached for years now, and this is by far, there's a handful of athletes that really fit into that category that you say car that, like, don't just love the weight room. They don't just like chomp at the bits to get on the weight room. And this year I've seen them, their love for that space really grow. And what they've been able to accomplish is tremendous. And I think it's really just exactly what you said, like your patience, um, your patience to just not make them feel like this is what we do over here. Like do it or get the hell off my floor, you know? Um, but instead more of just like a connection to them, meet them where they are, be patient with them and sort of allow that growth and that love for training to really build. So I, I think there's no doubt that's one of the greatest strengths that you have. So I, I have seen, um, some of our athletes just get so much out of strength and conditioning this year, far beyond, you know, what they've been able to do in the past, um, just because of, because of that, that element of like how to establish the right relationship. So I agree. That's really huge. And I'm glad you brought that question up, Krista, because I think it's a really big point. Yeah. And I was just going to say too, like, I think like Carly's relationship with them has been really powerful. And I think the integration has been really powerful. So I think for our athletes, especially our older athletes and our younger athletes, but when they understand how what they are doing you know, 10 feet away from the field in our space, but on the strength floor is impacting what they are doing when they understand that, like, you know, we're all having constant conversations and this like system of support around them. It's really powerful. So it's not just I'm over there trying to get them to hit. If I'm struggling, I will talk to Carly or I will talk to Laura. We'll sort of like dive in to help them. And so I think the players feel that this year, they feel that system we've built and they understand it's like very supportive around them and their progress. And if we can't figure out how to make them progress right away, like we're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to solve the puzzle as Ashley said, or at least try to. Um, and we have sort of the best team to do that. So I think um, like the best setup to do that, I should say. So I think it's, you know, it's our relationships for sure. And I think that's, a, I mean, it's, that's number one. And then I think getting them to understand how everything relates to each other 
and for them it just it helps them buy into both sides of things the you know the strength and the skill side of things to understand how they're connected and how they're sort of like flowing together so i would say like as another reason to do this when athletes feel like every piece of their journey is separate and they don't understand the connection between the two it's hard to buy into that because you don't really understand you're just doing it to do it because someone told you to um you don't really understand how they're connected so i think that's a huge reason too that our athletes have started buying in more to the platform we have this year because they they get it it took them a little bit it took us a little bit to sort of unroll it but um i think they they get it and so they're they understand that journey a lot more which is important as laura said because it's college i also think um you know part of you know, the, the idea of the girls having a good relationship with Carly and, and really um, it being individualized is the emphasis on movement quality over on our strength floor versus just like, you know, loaded up, absolute strength, chase that number. You know, I obviously our athletes load and we have some athletes who are loading pretty heavy on things once they are have sort of earned that right. But the focus is movement quality. That is number one, the overarching goal. And so I think for our girls, um, you know, in the past, I think strength and conditioning is sometimes intimidating, right? And so I think it's really part of not only just Carly's personality of being patient with them and, and, and her willingness to sort of meet them where they are, but the system meets them where they are. Because if you're low level movement quality, then you're just slowly trying to improve that movement quality. And so like, you know, I think that just allows it to be a more comfortable space. Now, obviously, we also have athletes on the flip side that they're used to this just like intimidating environment and they want it to be that even if their movement quality isn't there. And we have to educate them of why it has to be a process to really get to that point. But I think that that that, you know, that distinction between like, yes, of course, we're trying to get stronger, but underneath of that is improving movement quality or it's kind of irrelevant, right? You're just, you know, you're just sort of like fueling a fire that's really not leading in the right direction. So unless your your quality of movement's getting better. So I think that that's a really important piece. I think it's a piece that our athletes really understand. And then they feel as if like Carly really is making them feel better, you know, like feel better, move better. And then, you know, we're able to sort of show them some stuff that's allowing them to see how it relates to skill. So I think it's pretty clear to them. It's like, it's a, it's something beyond just scale. It's something beyond just performance. I've said this, I've said this to a couple of our college athletes, college bound athletes that have had, you know, some injury issues and that, you know, this type of system, the, the cues they receive from Carly, the, the level of detail she demands of them in their movement quality is actually referred to. It, it serves to, give them a platform to tell their own story moving forward, you know, to be able to understand their actual mobility challenges, to understand the, you know, how their, their underlying medical conditions affect their ability to train, you know, what are the cues that Carly is, you know, constantly correcting them on? What do they struggle with? That allows them to take, you know, their needs and and their uh, plan with them to, you know, to the next step and communicate that effectively and be able to say, you know, I have, I have X, Y, and Z that I've struggled with and, you know, new strength coach, new coach, this is, this is what was successful for me. And to have ownership over, you know, that performance plan when they graduate from the facility, I think that's very important. And I think the integration that we have allows us to do that. And I think the, the, 
attention to detail that Carly demands in their strength and conditioning is, is such a key piece of that to teach them the, the body awareness and, and the capabilities that they have. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good way to wrap it up because if I don't put a cap on this, this group of four people could talk about this literally for 18 hours and that would not be a podcast that would be successfully listened to. So um, I think we will stop there, but um, you know, we'll uh, we want to keep bringing in obviously great people um, sort of outside of our space, but you know, every few weeks we'll check in, try to just talk a little bit about sort of the details of things and how we do it uh, and get more into that just to, to provide some insight on what goes on in our space. But um, excited for, for next time we get in here. But like I said, if I don't shut this off, we'll uh, you'll be listening to an 18 hour long podcast. So uh, thank you everyone for joining and we will talk to you soon.